Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy, the book of 2 Timothy and chapter number 1. The book of 2 Timothy and chapter number 1. We are on our last phase of this series of the pastoral epistles as we've been hitting each of the three pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, Titus, and now the book of 2 Timothy. We're hitting the book of 2 Timothy last because it was the last of those three books to come in order chronologically or history, and it makes sense because the last time that we saw the Apostle Paul he was now being arrested. We saw in the last part of the book of Titus that he was sending for Titus to go meet him. However, before Titus can catch up to him, um, <clears throat> the apostle Paul was arrested. And now he is sitting in a prison cell recording or dictating this passage of scripture unto his son of the faith, Timothy, to give him some last minute reminders, his last words to encourage his son of the faith to continue. And so we find our way to the book of first or to the book of second Timothy, the book of second Timothy and chapter number one, second Timothy and chapter number one, notice with me starting at verse one, second Timothy chapter one and verse one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy." When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, where Unto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard in me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. The good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2 Timothy chapter number 1. The book of 2 Timothy chapter number 1, and notice with me in verse number 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 9, notice the phrase, called us with a holy calling. Called us with a holy 
calling. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to explain this passage here and with this idea of the phrase, he called us with a holy calling. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And Lord, as we come to you, we recognize that you are a God who knows the end from the beginning. You're a God who knows what is best. We know that your will is best and your design is best. And help us to recognize this, that we could have confidence, that we could be submitted, that we could be surrendered to the idea you know what you're doing. I'm asking that you would encourage the faith of many because of this message. As we open up the Bible, that you would let it be clear, let it be easily understood, and let people fall more in love with you. Help them to trust you even more. Let our relationship with you grow even deeper because of our understanding of this passage here. That we understand that you have a great purpose. Lord, I'm asking that again, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I recognize my own inadequacies, know my own inabilities, and know that these folks need more than what I can give to them. So I surrender myself to you and ask that you fill me with your precious spirit, that you can get accomplished exactly what you want through your precious word. In Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Paul gives this phrase under the inspiration of the Spirit that he has called us with a holy calling. Do you know that God has a purpose for your life? There is a purpose for your life. There's a reason why you exist. He has a purpose for you. He has a holy calling. He has chosen for your life. And in order for you to be at the place where you could do what God has given you to do, notice again with me in verse number 9 as we do some preparatory work. It says, Who hath saved us and hath called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. Do you know that God has a purpose for things in your life? The Apostle Paul is saying this while he's sitting in a prison cell. If you could remember what's going on in history, is that the Apostle Paul had initially been sent to Rome under arrest by the Hebrew people, by the Jewish people. And so he sat in a kind of a, a house arrest situation for a couple years, waiting for the Jewish lawyers to come and accuse him. And after they did not show up, he stood before Nero and he gave his personal testimony and Nero let him go. And so for a couple years, the apostle Paul was out of prison and he was starting churches. However, he could see something in Nero's eyes that Nero was about to go crazy, that Nero was about to stop, uh, to snap and that things would go downhill very quickly. And sure enough, they did. That Nero always fancied himself as a director, a great conductor. And because he felt like it, he burnt down the city of Rome. And it, there's an old expression that has burnt Rome, Nero fiddled. Well, he didn't necessarily fiddled, but he did imagine that he was a great conductor. And with the fire of Rome in the backdrop, he imagined a great play. Well, after Rome burnt down, as you can imagine, there was quite a few people who were not happy about the situation. And so he had to blame someone, so let's blame the Christians. And so he convinced people of Rome that the Christians were evil. For example, he listened to the Apostle Paul, so he got quite a bit from him. But he would say, you know what the Christians are? They are cannibals. They drink the blood of their leader and they eat his body. They're hidden around. And, and he gave them an all kinds of report to try to stir them up. And then he said it was the Christians who burnt down Rome. And in order for him to be the great hero, Nero put an arrest warrant for the Apostle Paul. And he captured him. And so he has the leader of the Christian movement. And he put them in the maritime prison. Now the maritime prison is not house arrest and it is not a fluffy jail there is no such thing as tv there in fact in the maritime prison we'll cover this tonight the only way that a prisoner gets fed is if someone brings food to the prisoner meaning someone of your family or friends so the apostle paul is going to spend time in the prison and the only way that he gets fed is if someone of his followers of his friends comes and feeds him 
He's sitting in a dungeon part. So he's not even in the prison part. He's in the dungeon part. And in there, there's no light. And so as he's recording the book of 2 Timothy, he's not writing it with his own hand. But if you can imagine that he's down in the dungeon and someone is writing and pinning his words that Paul is speaking and they're recording this as he's speaking. What we see in the book of 2 Timothy is 83 verses of Paul's last words. As he's recording this and trying to encourage his son in the faith. And with these 83 83 verses, he comes up with this. God has called us with a purpose or with a high calling. He has called us with a holy calling. And then in the same verse, he says, according to his own purpose. That the Apostle Paul is written in jail. He's written in prison. Many people have abandoned him. And he's still saying God has a purpose for this. God knows what he's doing. That God is still good. And God is still right. And again you can't even imagine the horrible conditions that Paul is in. In prison. He has a guard that is chained to him 24 hours a day. How would you like that? He is considered such a danger that they actually handcuff a guard who's actually down in the prison in the dungeon with him. And he's still saying God is still good. And God is still right. That God has a purpose for this and he has a reason for it. And we know that God knows what he's doing. What an amazing passage. We understand that the Bible speaks often of a principle called God's unconscious preparation. God's unconscious preparation. God's unconscious preparation is this. That there are choices that we make for ourselves, but there are choices that God makes for us. For example, if you went to the Apostle Paul and said, Hey, Paul, would you choose to go to jail on your own just for no reason? He would go, No. Some of you who have pain, you know what? Would you have chosen that on your own? No. But God has chosen some things for you. And God has chosen those things because he knows what's best. And he knows that you need those items, those conditions in your life to bring you to the place where God can use you as an instrument, as a Christian. And so with this, the Apostle Paul says, God, he has called us to a holy calling according to his purpose. So if you don't mind, I'd like to take the book of 2 Timothy chapter number 1 and show you from these verses here about the purposes that Christ has in the different areas in our life. If you don't mind, the first thing I'd like to show you here is that Christ has a purpose with our spiritual fathers. Christ has a purpose with our spiritual fathers. Notice with me in verse number one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. We understand and we've described before the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Timothy was not Paul's physical son. He was Paul's spiritual son. That Paul, as far as we can understand, had the privilege of discipling Timothy. And he talked to Timothy and gave Timothy his doctrine, his manner of life, his purpose. Paul poured this into Timothy. And by the way, who was it that set Paul to be Timothy's spiritual father? It was God. God knew what he was doing. God places people in our life, men and women, to influence us for God. Maybe before you got saved, somebody began to witness to you. And you didn't get saved because they witnessed to you, but it was something that stayed with you. The Apostle Paul had someone like that by the name of Stephen. Stephen was a great Uh, deacon within the church and as he preached and and was dead to self and filled with the Holy Spirit the people of Jerusalem had enough of him and they slowly rocked him to sleep 
They stoned him. They killed him. But the Apostle Paul, before he was Paul, when he was still Saul of Tarsus, watched the stoning of Stephen. And later on, when he gives his testimony, he said it never left him. He could not understand why someone being murdered can have so much grace. How someone, when people are hiring people to lie against him in court, how he can have such peace such grace. And when he's dying, he can still say, God, don't hold this to the charge. I still want them to get saved. And you could almost imagine Stephen as he's getting hit by a rock, blood trickling down. He's going down for the count. He looks up to, to Saul of Tarsus and says, I want you to get saved. Paul says, I never got over that. I never got over that. Do you know without the martyr of Stephen, Paul may not have ever got saved? That's what the Apostle Paul accredits it to. That, that was part of the preparatory work. That God does something in our life to prepare us to know Him. He works in our heart. Then someone finally gave you a track. Someone invited you to church. Someone witnessed to you. God had a plan by that. God sent someone in your path for you to come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Then as people influence you, whether it's a pastor, do you know that... The pastor that you have is not by accident, but God had a purpose for it. God had a plan to allow the pastor that you have now and the pastors that you've had before, the spiritual people to influence you, to encourage you, to get you closer with the Lord. God had a plan by that. He knew exactly what you would need and who you would need to bring you to the place of service, to bring you to the place where you are usable to God and his plan and what he has for you. That God has chosen spiritual leaders, spiritual fathers, people to influence you, to bring them to himself, and to teach you that God had a plan for it. And he knows exactly what he's doing. He had a purpose for it. Notice again in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, notice this, by the will of God. Why was Paul an apostle? Because that was God's plan. God had a purpose for it. And later, God used Paul to, do, to work with Timothy. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't by happenstance. It wasn't by coincidence. God had a purpose. He had a plan to bring Timothy to the place where he was at this time. And the things in Paul's life is still influencing Timothy. God had a plan. We also know that not only does Christ have a purpose with our spiritual fathers, but Christ has a purpose with how we were raised. Christ has a purpose with how we were raised. Notice as we go on in verse number 3. I thank God who I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience that, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee, Timothy. So he's talking to Timothy and he's saying... I want to let you know something. You're an encouragement to me, Timothy, that I remember you. I have remembrance of you, Timothy, in my prayers night and day. Timothy, I'm letting you know I pray for you all the time. You mean something to me. I'm thankful for you. Verse number four, greatly desiring to see thee, Timothy, being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. He says, Timothy, I know you're praying for me. I'm thankful for you. You mean a lot to me. He says, let me tell you what I remember about you, Timothy, verse number five. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also. Hey, Paul is telling Timothy, writing this personal letter to him, and he says, you know what? I remember where you got your faith. You had a godly grandmother. And you had a godly mother who loved you and taught you the scriptures. They had an unfeigned faith. We know according to the scriptures, it's revealed that Timothy, uh, his mother was a Jewish lady, but his father was a Greek. His father was maybe not a believer. We do have an understanding that Timothy's father had died at a younger age when he was younger. And so he was raised by his mother, a single parent mother, and a grandmother. 
But the wonderful thing is that they had a grandmother who loved the scriptures and took her grandchild Timothy and said, let me tell you about God and how wonderful God is. Let me tell you Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And his, his mother put him aside and said, Timothy, as a follower of God, there are certain things we don't do in this house. And their faith in God was translated, and Paul is saying, let me tell you where you got your faith is. That same unfeigned faith that was found in your grandmother, that was found in your mother, it was also found in you. What we understand here in God's unconscious preparation is that there were certain things that we make choices for, but there were certain things that God chooses for us. You know one thing that God chooses for you is your parents. There's no place where babies are getting ready to be born and they have someone saying, all right, who do you want your parents to be? Here's a whole list of books. You go ahead and look through the books. Otherwise, some of you might think that you would be the uh, son of Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or someone with lots of money, you know. But you don't have to choose who your parents are. God chose for you. And God didn't make an accident for who your parents are. He specifically and uniquely gave you the parents that you have to make you the person you are today. But you say, but preacher, my parents were not saved. It does not matter. God is able to even use your unsaved parents to bring you to the place of who you are today. To help shape you. God made the choice for you and he was not wrong. It was not an accident. God knew what he was doing. In the case of Timothy, he gave him Eunice and Lois. Think of the Apostle Paul. He grew up with parents who were not saved. And yet they allowed him to go to the schools of Tarsus. And then allowed him to go to the schools of Jerusalem. Where he got to study under Gamaliel. The greatest Bible teacher of that time. Even though he wasn't saved. Still the greatest Bible teacher of that time. Could you imagine that? What allowed him to do that? His parents. Your parents helped shape your life. Whether you want to recognize it or not. They shaped your life. And God had a purpose for it. For who raised you? Who set you up? God had a purpose. And God is using that to make you whom you're supposed to be. Who God wants to, to mold you and to make you to be the instrument that God wants you to be. That God has called you with a holy calling. And it was by His purpose. So as we understand here that Christ has a purpose with our spiritual fathers. Christ has a purpose with how we were raised. We also see that God, Christ, has a purpose with our spiritual gifts. Christ has a purpose with our spiritual gifts. Notice with me in verse number 6. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Now the Apostle Paul has made mention of this before in the letter of 1 Timothy. Now we understand that when you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell within you. And when the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell with you, He gives every man a gift. Meaning that as soon as you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God gives you a spiritual gift. The Bible explains the spiritual gifts in a couple other passages, including the book of Romans. It is not our purpose to go through the spiritual gifts, other than to say that God gave you a gift. And by the way, he gave you the gift with forethought. He knew exactly what he was doing. He didn't give you a gift by accident and said, oops, I gave you the wrong gift. For example, one of them is the gift of administration, the gift of organization. Well, that's necessary. There are some people who are naturally organized and good at putting things together. That, that's a gift. There's the gift of helps. There's not everyone who likes to be in front of everyone and say, hi, look at me. God needs background workers. And there's some people who have the gifts of helps who are able to work on the background. There's the gift of giving. There are some people who are natural givers. Now, we know that there's a command to give, but there are some people that you don't have to twist their arm. They're ready to give. There's the gift of encouragement. There are some people who are naturally encouraging to be around. And there are some Christians who are not naturally encouraging to be around. 
But God has given every person a gift, and he's giving you the gift. When you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he gave you that gift for the purpose of using it within his local church to help move the Great Commission forward. He didn't do it by accident. He gave it to you on purpose. God had a purpose for it. He called you with a high call, holy calling, and he did it with purpose. That Christ has a purpose with our spiritual fathers. He had a purpose with how you were raised. He was purpose with the spiritual gifts. As we go on, we see something else. That Christ has a purpose with the afflictions of the gospel. With the afflictions of the gospel. There was a purpose for it. Notice if you don't mind as we continue in verse number 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be that not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or me his prisoner but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God in verse number eight Paul says something important to Timothy he says be not ashamed of my chains when the apostle Paul showed up on Rome's uh, most wanted list. Can you imagine seeing Paul's face at the local post office? Have you seen this man putting on the milk cartons? Look in the back of it. Have you seen this man? And people are looking. You could see him on the television. They don't have television shows. I'm being facetious. But could you imagine? Everywhere you hear, you're hearing the Apostle Paul. Have you seen this person? He is the number one most wanted person all in Rome. If you find him, treat him as if he's extremely dangerous. Stay away from him. Don't listen to him. You let authorities know and they'll arrest him. Well, how would you feel if your pastor was being arrested? You say, oh, pastor, I don't know. I always knew. And you almost step away. You start putting a distance. Nope, nope. I always knew it was coming to that. Nope. I, I was someone who was telling him he better be careful. And you step away. There were people who were ashamed of the Apostle Paul's chain. Now that he's number one wanted in all Rome. I don't know what you're talking about. Sure, I met him once. But nope, nope. I, nope. People are distancing themselves. They're no longer want to be associated with the Apostle Paul, lest they be arrested themselves. So much so that the Apostle Paul has to write Timothy and say, Timothy, don't be ashamed of my chains. Don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed that I'm in prison. Because notice whose prisoner Paul is. Notice with me in verse 8. Be that not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me his prisoner. Who is this his? Is it Rome? Is it Nero? It's Jesus Christ. I am Jesus' prisoner. It is Jesus that put me in these chains, not the Romans. It is Jesus that has said I need to be in this prison. It is Jesus that has made these wanted posters about. I trust God. That God has a purpose for my afflictions. God has a reason why I'm in jail now. God has a reason. So Timothy, you don't be ashamed of what God is doing. His plan is perfect. As for God, his way is perfect. God knows what he's doing with the things that cross in our path. That's why we love the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. For we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God. To them that are thee called according to his purpose. That God knows how to make all these things. That may not be good. And put them together for good. The accidents. The flat tires. The pain. The circumstances. Remember there are things that you choose for yourself. And there are things that God chooses for you. Take someone that's been in a car accident. All right, guys, we're looking for someone today to be in a car accident. Any volunteers? Everybody kind of steps back, and hopefully that one guy's not paying attention. And, you know, no one's going to volunteer. Ooh, that's me, that's me. I want you to be in an accident where an explosion hits, and you get third-degree burns on your face and your hand. Anyone volunteer for that? I want to be in a plane crash where I'm the only survivor. Anyone want to volunteer for that? 
Well, you know that there are choices that we make for ourselves and there are choices that God makes for us. And we have to come to the place, do you trust God? Do you trust God? Can you allow him to allow things in your life? Well, I got the guy who picks on me all the time. Can you trust God that God is going to use that guy to help you with something? Maybe God is allowing you to depend on him more. Maybe the idea that God allows you to have pain is so that way you have to trust God more and not depend on yourself. God has a purpose. Can you trust him? Now notice this. Notice back in verse number 7. If you trust God, notice this. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. If you truly are trusting God, you don't have to be afraid because I know that God is always good and that God is always right. That God has my best interest at heart. There may be some things that may hurt us, but it won't harm us. Does that make sense? Meaning you could go through some uncomfortable things in your life, but it is not to permanently damage you. It is for his purpose. He has a plan. He has not given us the spirit of fear. But you know, instead of the spirit of fear, he's given us three things. What things has he given us? But of power. Oh, when you realize that God has a purpose and you say, God, I surrender to your purpose. He's got great power to get things accomplished, to be a witness, to be a testimony. It may be the idea that people are watching your trials and to see if you're trusting God And God has given great power because that's how they're going to get saved. They won't get saved any other way but to finally see a Christian who trusts God in hard times. But of power, what else? And of love. (laughs) You know, the accident that you went through was the most loving thing that God could have done for you. He loved you enough to put you in an accident. Doesn't that sound weird? But you realize that God has your best interest at heart. He does love you. He loved you enough to put something in your circumstance to bring you closer to him, to get you saved, to bring you to the place where you trust him. If it brings us closer to God, isn't that the greatest thing that can happen to us? The Bible gives this description in the book of Isaiah, treasures in darkness. What are treasures in darkness? Treasures in darkness is the worst things that happen to us can turn to be the greatest things that happen to us if it draws us closer to the Lord. Can you trust us? He has not given us the spirit of fear, but instead he has given us power and love. But notice this, and a sound mind. The word sound carries the idea of healthy. That when you go through an accident, you go through a circumstance, someone's mean to you, someone picks on you, you stub your toe, you have a flat tire, your mind is where the battleground is. And so most of us in our flesh, and we all recognize it, stupid, tired, get mad. That's not of a sound, healthy mind. But you can look at that tire and say, you know what? God has a purpose for it. I may not know what the purpose is, but I trust him. Which which mindset is going to help you throughout the day? Well, the one that trusts God. Can you trust him? He hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but he has given us power, love, and of a sound mind. How we respond to God. Can you trust him? Not only can you trust him, do you trust him? Because he has called us with a holy holy calling according to his purpose. God has a purpose for who raised you, who discipled you, who pastored you. He has a purpose for the afflictions that occur in your life. God knows what he's doing. And if we respond to him with faith, then we don't have the spirit of fear. We understand that the unknown is a fearful thing. How am I going to survive past this again? That's a legitimate question. 
But instead of saying, how am I going to survive? Looking to God and say, God, I have to trust you. You know what you're doing. You're going to be better off because he gives you power, love, and of a sound mind. Can you trust God? By the way, may I also remind you that there's an individual will for your life. And because you're an individual will that are made up differently, nobody is made up like me. And everybody said, amen. But because we're unique, God knows how to put the different trials and afflictions in your life unique to you. That means the things that you go through in your life, no one else may go specifically on the same thing. The trial's the same. Can you trust God? Can you trust God? But he knows what your weakness is. He knows what you need. He knows that the flat tire for someone may be the most devastating thing that ever happens. For someone else, it's not a big deal. So God puts them through a different thing where they have to trust God. Does that make sense? He knows how to uniquely tailor his will for his purpose because he's called you with a, a holy calling. Notice, if you don't mind, as we continue on, that we could also see that Christ has a purpose by what he has done. Christ has a purpose according to what he has done. Notice with me in verse number 9. Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling? This is speaking of Jesus. Not according to our works. Here's where we come to this idea here. That there are choices that we make for ourselves. And there are choices that God makes for us. You did not engineer the flat tire. Or at least I hope you didn't. You didn't engineer the people being mean and picking on you. Or at least I hope you didn't. You didn't engineer the car accident, or at least I hope you didn't. But you understand that God made some of these choices for you. They were not by your will. You know what? I'm feeling really good today. I feel like God has to get my attention. So God, bring me something bad. Well, it'd be easier for us to say, you know what? I'm just going to think about God. We don't engineer these things, but God puts them in our life with his purpose. He knows what he's doing. Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given in us in Jesus Christ before the world began. We know that God wants to save us. You know, the salvation in Jesus on the cross was never plan B. It was always plan A. It was always the only plan. Notice again as it goes on in verse number 10. But it's now manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Who hath abolished death. And hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Let's pause there. I want you to think about this. That you may have gone through some legitimately horrible things in your life. And we're not downplaying the, the tragedy of events. What we're saying is that God knows how to use tragedy to bring us close to him. But I want you to think of the most tragic thing that ever happened in all of human history. The most horrible thing that happened in all of human history. That God himself came on this earth and robed himself in flesh. And dwelt among us as Jesus Christ. Jesus went through the same temptations, the same troubles, and the same heartbreaks. But Jesus Christ never sinned. He never did anything wrong. He was a perfect man, the only perfect man. And you know how the world responded to this perfect man? Is they arrested this perfect man. They put the perfect man in a false trial and even had people lie to accuse him. They had people lined up to lie against him. So much that they didn't even correspond their stories. They were all lying about different things. How would you like to be in that trial where you have people lining up to lie against you. And they're all accusing you of different things. In this illegal trial they took the perfect man. And they sentenced him to death. Then they took the perfect man and brought him to the Roman authorities. Because the Hebrews didn't have authority to send someone to death themselves. And they lied to the Roman authorities. And the Roman authorities examined the perfect man and said, there's nothing wrong with him. He's perfect. But because of political pressure, they scourged him. They beat him. They mocked him. And yet, 
the perfect man was presented before a crowd beaten and battered and bloodied. And the crowd still said, crucify him. Crucify him. Then they took the perfect man who did nothing wrong and put him on the cross, which is one of the most horrible ways of all of history to die. It usually took someone three days to die on the cross and they died of suffocation. After all of this, they took a man who, did, who never did anything wrong, never told a lie, never disobeyed his folks, never did anything wrong. And the worst thing in all of history is they killed the perfect man. Isn't that horrible? And this perfect man was God. They killed God. The God who made the world. That is the most tragic thing that ever happened in history. But you know the most tragic thing that ever happened in history turned to be the greatest thing that ever happened. Because without the death on the cross, you and I can never have for our forgiveness for our sins. Because of cr cross, we can now go to heaven. Without Jesus dying on the cross, we could not go to heaven. Without Jesus dying on the cross, we could not have fellowship with God. We could not have our prayers answered. We could not have a relationship with our Father, Heavenly Father. The most horrible thing that ever happened in history was the greatest thing that ever happened because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. He offered of us salvation. Now put your problems in perspective. If the worst thing that ever happened in history turned to be the greatest thing that ever happened to us, isn't God smart enough, wise enough to take the most horrible thing that's going on in your life now and turn it to be the greatest thing that ever happened to you? Because he knows what he's doing. We can see that we see the idea of Jesus himself. Went through the same principle. The most horrible thing happened to him. But God had a purpose. To bring us salvation because of what Jesus Christ has done. Notice again in verse number 10. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ appeared, was manifest. He was here on this earth who has abolished death. When he died on the cross and rose again the third day, he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Oh, what a wonderful Savior. And then Paul adds to it, verse 11, whereupon I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher because of what Jesus Christ did for me. I get to tell everyone about the most horrible thing that ever happened. That's the greatest thing that ever happened to you. He said, I get to tell everyone about it. Christ had a purpose with what he has done. Which now brings us to one last thing. That we saw that Christ had a purpose for our spiritual fathers. Christ had a purpose for how we was raised. God had a purpose for the afflictions for the gospel. Christ had a purpose <coughs> for what happened to him up on the cross. But we can see that Christ had a purpose to keep that which is committed to him. Christ has a purpose to keep that which is committed to him. Notice in verse number 12. For which cause I also suffer these things. So because of what Christ has done for me, I could suffer these things. Because I know Christ knows what he's doing, I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. What he's talking about is that when some things happen to people, they almost carry the idea that God was so bad to me. No, God was never good to you. He's not ashamed that God knows what he's doing. He's not ashamed that God has a purpose. I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to be in prison. I'm sorry that I'm here and I'd rather be somewhere else. I'd rather be up on the beach somewhere starting another church. Suffering for Jesus in Hawaii. But God didn't give Paul the per that choice. Instead he's in prison and Paul's saying God is still good and God is still right. Hey guard that stuck with me. Let me tell you why I'm here. God's still good and God's still right. You know, everyone who's chained up to him for those, those several hours, you know, Paul is saying, hey, look, God has sent people to witness to me. They can't go anywhere. Hey, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Every single guard. Wouldn't you can imagine there were some guards who didn't get saved that would be looking at the shift and say, oh, no, I'm chained to this maniac again. 
And there were some that says, I can't wait to be chained with Paul. Oh, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this. Man, this is an opportunity for, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul says, let me tell you something. I gave to Jesus my life, my purpose, my goals, my ambition. It is up to God for my health, my life, and strength. I gave that to him. He can use my life however he wants. If he chooses to put me in this cell, then I gave it to God. I'm trusting that he knows what's best with it. And here comes the problem. Because God has a perfect plan for us. But we can rebel against that plan. Let me give you an example. I got that flat tire, stupid tire, whatever else. Well, do we recognize that God has a plan? Yes. Could we rebel against his plan and be upset at him? Yes. You see, the choice that we have to make is that we have to say, God, I give you my life. I give you my health. I give you my breath. I give you my talents. I give you my goals. I give it all to you, and you use them however you see fit. And if you choose to do this, that's fine. I gave it to you. You see, the problem is, is that sometimes people have never come to the place where they surrender to God. Now, I'm speaking to Christians. There are Christians who are good people, not evil people, but people that have never come and personally given their life to God. Never said, God, you use my life however you see fit. Now, this is a purposeful, intentional moment. And this is a moment that every Christian needs to come to if they want to be used of God. God, I give you my life. I give you my family. I give you my health. I give you my time. I give it to you. And however you see fit to use them, I trust you because you've called me with a holy calling and you have a purpose for it. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What does that mean? Well, if I gave God my family, I am persuaded that I can trust him. That he will keep my family and use them the way that he sees fit until that day. What day is he talking about? The day that Jesus Christ comes back for us. The day that he returns. The day that our work is over. The day that we stand before him in judgment and give an account for our life as Christian. I am trusted he is able to commit that until that day. I give God my health. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed my health unto him against that day. I give God my finances and I am persuaded that he is able to keep my finances and do whatever he wants with it until that day. I give God my health. I give God my mind. I give God my time and I am persuaded that he is able to keep my time and use it however he sees fit against that day. What I'm trying to say is that you need to come to a place where you come to an old-fashioned altar, where you meet with God, and you say, God, I give you my life because I trust you. I give you my wealth because I trust you. I give you this and I give you this. You surrender it to God and say, God, it's yours. I'm trusting you. You know how to use my life better than me. You know how to use my time better than me. You know how to, you give it to God and allow God to use it the best way that he knows how. Instead of saying, no, it's mine. God can't have it. I want it myself. That's the choice that you have. Can you trust God? Notice with me in verse 13 as we finish this up. Hold fast Fast, the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. And verse 13 and 14, it now goes that God has given you a purpose. He has called you with a holy calling according to his purpose. Now you are 
committed. God has given you this responsibility to follow after him, to surrender, to trust him. He's got a will for you, and he is trusting you, the thing that was committed unto thee by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. That God has a plan for each of your life. And you have to say, God, I trust you. Your way is better than my way. Your plan is better than my plan. Your thoughts are better than my thoughts. I'm trusting you. I'm depending upon you. You're allowed to do whatever you want. That's the choice that you come up today. Realizing that God's not a mean God. He's not a horrible God. But he loves you so much. More than you can know. The place that you come to is, can you be surrendered to what he has for you? Can you come to the place that no matter what comes in your life, God is good and God is right? Can you get to the place where you trust God with every area of your life? How can you trust God? Well, you have to come and do your part and surrender and say, God, I give it to you. I'm not going to fight you over it. I surrender it to you. Many people need to make this choice today that you come to the place where you say, God, Your way is better than my way. I trust you. I'm committing this to you. And I am persuaded that you are able to keep that which is committed unto thee against that day. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.